Welcome, you're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome, everyone. Glad you're here tonight. We're still in uh, the book of Acts. We're getting closer to the end of the book of Acts. Feels like we've been doing this a long time. Uh, Are you enjoying this book? I love the book of Acts. So we're tonight, we're in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And uh, uh, tonight we're going to look at really what is a -a one-of-a-kind event for the book of Acts. And in that Paul, tonight we're going to see that it's really one of the only time in the book of Acts where we have a recorded message to a body of believers. You know, most of what's recorded and was spoken uh, in this book of Acts, whether it be by Paul or otherwise, was uh, sermons or speeches to non-believers. So tonight, uh, we get to see a glimpse of what uh, Paul had in his heart for the church, if you will, and for leaders in the church and for believers in the church. And I think in looking at this, it was really touching to me because I think it gives us a little bit of, of a glimpse into the heart of Paul. It also, I think, helps us maybe understand a little bit about how he felt about the church, how he felt about believers, and maybe more important, how they felt about him. And I think when you look at this and you read it and you study it, you can really see the impact that Paul had on their lives. Uh, And I started thinking as I was going through this about my impact on other people's lives. Whether it be believers or non-believers, we could apply uh, this lesson tonight equally across the church or outside of the church. But am I living a life uh, of impact for Christ? And uh, that's really our lesson that I want us to leave here with tonight is maybe learning a little bit about what it means to live a life of impact for Christ. I can imagine that everybody here, if I asked you to raise your hand, I would hope everybody would say, listen, I'd like to learn more about how to make an impact for Christ on others, whether it be believers or non-believers. And I think that we can look at this chapter tonight and maybe pull away a few things that might help us uh, live that type of a life. So let's take a look. It starts out, and I'm going to kind of really summarize, if you will, the first 16 verses. Um, It starts, and it says there in the first verse, after the uproar had ceased. Now, this is what Stuart talked about last week when they had, uh, they were angry in the, he's still in Ephesus, and remember, they were angry because he was out telling people about Christ, and it hurt the business, if you will. They, they, they couldn't make as much money now that people weren't wa- worshiping false idols, and they, they drugged the followers of Paul, Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, into this theater, and uh, they had this big uproar, as he refers to it here, Luke does, in the first sentence. So after this uproar is over and he's in Ephesus, then Paul is going to go back out and continue on his third missionary and final missionary journey. And if you'll remember, I gave everybody a long time ago, I'm sure you've carried it around everywhere you go, right, Richie? Everywhere you go, you have this with you. It's in the truck, <clears throat> I know. It's the map that shows where uh, the journeys went, all the missionary journeys. And I was just thinking about it because this is our, you know, we're, we're trying to be that church, right? So we should 
maybe put ourselves in this moment and just think about kind of really what's happening here. And uh, it talks about they're in Ephesus, and you can see Ephesus is kind of down here in this little area. And I don't know, I look at this, and this kind of looks like Naples to me. So it's like we're living in Naples. They're in Ephesus, kind of feels like the middle of Florida to me. And you can see here in this first few verses, it talks about that Paul leaves for Macedonia. So he, he heads up the coast and goes around through Macedonia. And, and if you kept reading, you can see that he goes down through into Greece. And all of this is really modern day Greece, modern day Turkey. And it says that he gets down to Greece, which is probably like, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, Cozumel or something over there in Mexico. So he gets down over there into Cozumel, and, and he's, he's sharing the gospel with people. And he decides, listen, I'm going to take a ship across the water over to maybe Cuba or Puerto Rico. All right, But you know, what he learns is, is there's some Jews that have set a trap for him. So he's like, okay, well, that's a bad idea. I don't want to go to Cuba. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back up along the, the coastline through Macedonia. And then when he, along the way, if you look there in verses kind of four or five and six, a bunch of really hard to pronounce names. Uh, two of them, by the way, though, are, are two guys that were over there in that theater. So Gaius and, and Aristarchus. So we know that they lived. Because I remember when I first read this, I was thinking, wow, did they die? Like what happened in this theater, this angry mob of people? But, but, but they make it because they join Paul at various stages of this, and they get back over to um, Macedonia, all right, which is that somewhere probably up around Houston, all right, and then they go out into, and Paul says, listen, you guys go over to Troas, and I'm going to keep going on my own. I'm going to go through Philippi, all right, so he goes and spends some time. Remember in Philippi, we studied about Lydia and the slave girl, and we know we launched a church in Philippi, the Philippians church, so he spends some time there. And then he meets up with a bunch of his disciples in this Troas, which is kind of in the middle there. And in Troas, actually kind of one of the more humorous events in the Bible, if you look there in verse 7, it talks about how when Paul gets to Troas, he gathers together to, to eat, to break bread, and to, to talk, it says, with other believers. And what's really kind of funny about this is that uh, as Paul starts talking, it says there, in verse 9, and a young man named Eutychus, uh, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked. So Paul talked him to sleep. All right, he fell asleep as Paul's talking. And what's even more funny is the guy falls out the window. All right, he falls out the window, falls three stories down, and everybody thinks he's dead. Well, Paul goes down and basically uh, takes his hand and raises him to life and uh, raises this uh, young Eutychus from the dead. But what I really loved about it is there in verse 11, it says, And when Paul had gone up, he went back upstairs and broke more bread, ate some more. He conversed with them a long while lo longer. So Paul didn't skip a beat. So the guy goes to sleep, falls out the window, goes down three stories. He walks down there. He picks the guy up. He says, oh, he's not dead. Don't worry about it. Goes back upstairs, gets a bite of bread, and just keeps on talking. All right. So that'll tell you a little bit about Apostle Paul. <laughs> And then after this, uh, Paul says, <clears throat> he keeps kind of going down the coastline, and he goes, and he's probably headed back toward Ephesus, and, and, and that's our Naples, remember? So he's headed back to Naples, and he's, he stops out at Old Town, which is you know, a little island outside off the coast there of Florida, and he calls for the elders in Ephesus there in Naples, and he says, listen, I need you to come out. I want to I talk to you a little bit. So, so he calls for all these elders to come out. 
there to this island that's off the coast there of Florida called uh, Miletus, all right? So he's in Miletus, which is near Ephesus, and he asked all the leaders uh, in Ephesus to come out now and talk to him. So he's been traveling around, he's been checking on his churches, he's been telling people about Jesus, and now he wants to take this opportunity, this moment, as he's nearing the end of his final missionary journey, he's on his way back to Jerusalem, he wants to be there by Pentecost, and he's taking this time, though, to, to, to show his heart, if you will, in what is, uh, most people would refer to as a farewell speech to the church in Ephesus, and in particular, to the leaders in Ephesus. And that's what we see when you come to verse 17 is this speech, and that's where I want to spend probably most of our time is on uh, his words uh, to these leaders in Ephesus out uh, in Miletus. So let me read this for us. It says, it says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders out of the church to come to him. And when they had came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to, to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will raise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands of mine, he's talking about, minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then it is this last part that really to me just made all of this kind of come to life where he says, and, to, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. And they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him down to the ship. You can just sense the, the love that they have for the Apostle Paul and the love that he has for them. And, and that word weeping there, 
It's the same word that's used in other places like the parable of the weeds where the evil person is sowing the evil seeds and Jesus says that that, that person is going to be basically in hell, in hell where there's, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the same weeping that is used here just to give you a sense of the sorrow that they felt in, in this departure, if you will, with Paul. And I started thinking about, you know, how many people come and go in your life and how many people come and go in this church, or whether it be leaders or otherwise. And I don't know that I ever have this, this type of a feeling. I mean, he had spent three years with them, but it wasn't with all of them personally. It, when it was, he was gone a lot and coming back and spent time there. But just think about the impact that he had on their lives. And as I read this, again, I started thinking about a couple of things. One was what I mentioned earlier is, why did they love him so much? You know, why did he have such an impact on their lives? And then the second thing that I asked that I always ask myself when I'm studying scripture is, why does this matter to me? You know, because when I first started looking at this, I started thinking to myself, well, this is a really tough passage in some respects to teach in this Bible fellowship class because it's, it's supposedly Paul, obviously talking to the elders, not supposedly, that's what it is. But honestly, it has much greater application than just that. And, and I say that because think about Paul. I mean, you know, today when we, when we think about church and we think about church leadership and we start thinking about preachers, we, we tend to go to Prestonwood because that's what we know or to other churches like that, but you got to remember the time uh, of, of this you know, account in the Bible. There's not Prestonwoods out there. You don't have 60 people on staff in churches. I mean, you have Paul that was you know, a vocational minister, basically, that was working and going from town to town, helping take care of himself. He talks about that, and yet still preaching the gospel and planning churches, and these elders that came out to visit with him, well, these are really disciple makers, if you will, that were leading probably house churches. I mean, these weren't 15 people that were on staff in one building that they had built, okay? These were people that probably were hosting churches, if you will, small gatherings, groups of people in their homes. And I started thinking to myself, well, that's really us, isn't it? I mean, both of those, really, whether I'm Paul being the one living the life of impact or if I'm sitting receiving this and trying to, to, to learn from the words that are coming from these pages. I mean, the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, tells us that, that all Scripture is breathed from God. It's all profitable, right, for, for, for teaching and correction and reproof, for training so that we are complete and, and equipped, right, for good work. So we can learn from all of this. And the way you learn is different in different situations. You know, sometimes you're, I always have, uh, you know, friends of mine that are not believers, they'll always say, well, Scott, you know, I've read some of that Old Testament. Yeah, you're not, you're not saying that we should do that. I mean, we're going through Leviticus right now. I was talking to William the other day. I'm like, man, I have a hard time figuring out why this helps me, you know, other than to, to, to know that I didn't, I'm so glad that I didn't live under that law. That's really the most thing I get out of it. So there's some things that you read in the Bible that you just learn from, you know, just the past, from, from examples of maybe things that we shouldn't do or maybe things that we should be grateful that, you know, no longer do we live under the law and it makes you really grateful for what Christ did, okay? So sometimes you can learn from just what was happening, what was taking place, place just the history of it. Sometimes there's very specific instruction. Uh, and honestly, I think in this context, you probably get a little bit of both, Okay, we get to learn from the history of what was taking place and just the relationship between Paul and these other elders in the Ephesus church. Uh, but there's also some specific instruction here as well, right? I mean, he talked about it there uh, in, in the middle of whenever he was talking about it. He talked about, right, fierce wolves coming in amongst you. I mean, that feels like everyday life in my life is, 
you know, fierce wolves coming at me. I mean, just think about the, the, the way Satan is attacking your mind and your body and just your life, your relationships, everything, right? I mean, you're talking about the wolf coming at you every single day, whether you're leading a house church or, or leading a Bible study or just trying to be the light of God in your workplace, okay? That may be your church, uh, honestly, and just trying to be a leader and, and wherever that might lead, just think about the attacks that are coming on your life. And sometimes he says it's even going to come from within. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of accounts of that. I always think about it when Peter, you know, in, in all just trying to do what he thought was right. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you know, so sometimes, you know, Satan can use all kinds of people to get you off track. We've talked about that. So I think about this in that context of, hey, I can learn from this. I mean, I've got my own Ephesus. I've got my own church. Uh, I've got my own uh, uh, people that, that look up to me and, and listen to me. And, and I'm discipling people. And we all should be doing that. And I think that's why this can apply to all of us. I think we can all learn from, from this, these few words about how we can have this same impact on others around us, believers and non-believers. And then the second thing, uh, the first question I ask myself is just why? Uh, why did they love him so much? Uh, why did he have such an impact on their life? And I came up with four things, and I have a handout on your table that mentions that I, that I list all of these. We're gonna fill, we can fill in some blanks, but I got four things. Four things I think that if we uh, we can see from from Apostle Paul, just gathering from what he said in this farewell speech. And four things, I believe that if we did these four things, if we could apply these four things in our life, I think that, that, that we could also have this type of an impact uh, on people that are uh, in and amongst us. And the first one uh, that I would say is this, that Paul was an encourager. Paul was an encourager. Jared talked about it tonight, right? He said that I had this file of, of letters that I get that are encouragement from people. You know, one of the things that I just appreciate the most is when uh, I'll have people that will tell me, Scott, you're such an encourager in my life. I mean, honestly, I think about that sometimes as being, you know, no higher praise. Because if you think about the world we live in today, it is really easy to get discouraged, isn't it? I mean, everything just seems to be, uh, you know, bringing you down. Uh, there's Every, you, you can't go a day and watch the news or read the paper and not come up with a reason to be negative. You know, and I mean, I don't know about you, I mean, I've had businesses where I've had people in those businesses that I always would just say, man, they just, they just suck the energy out of a room. You ever known anybody like that that just sucks the energy out of a room because they're just so negative about everything? No pointing fingers or anything, but... Have you ever known someone like that? I mean, it's easy to do, right? It's easy to be negative. It's very easy in this world. I, I, I struggle with this all the time. I, you know, I, 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 one of the things, good or bad, about me is I sometimes, and I see some of my children exhibiting this same thing, I'll be hard on myself in order to try to motivate myself. And, but what I'll do if I'm not careful is that'll turn into being very negative, you know, and I have to work on that. I pray through that all the time is that, God, don't let me be negative. Let me be an encouragement to people, you know. So I can tell you, if you want to live a life of impact, the first thing is try to be an encourager to people. And the Bible in Proverbs says that, that anxiety weighs a heart down. And if you think about anxiety today, I've said this often, that if you, if you look at our young generation, millennials in particular, the number one thing they struggle with, anxiety. 
they're afraid. They're just afraid. The world is big and bad and ugly and scary, and they're afraid. And the Bible says that that will weigh you down. But it says that an encouraging word, a good word, brings joy. An encouragement. I mean, it just can change somebody's life just to be an encouragement to them. So first and foremost, Paul was an encourager. We saw it there in the first verse. It wasn't part of the speech, but it said there, he said he sent those for the disciples. He's still in Ephesus, remember? And he says, after encouraging them. And then it went on there in verse 2. He said he went through all the regions and gave them, and had given them much encouragement. So number one, if we want to make an impact, we need to be an encourager. We need to be an encourager to people. That's a good place to start, don't you think? All right, the second thing that Paul was, <clears throat> he was a humble servant. Verses 18, he talks about this at the very beginning of the speech, actually, there he says, that I, from the moment I, the first day that I set foot in Asia, I was serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. And we've talked about this. What is, by definition, serving the Lord means serving others. You know, by now, one of my favorite passages is in, from Matthew 25, uh, where Jesus talks about this. You know, the, the, he said that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me uh, something to drink. When I was in prison, you came to see me. When I was sick, you helped me. When I was without clothes, you clothed me. And what they say? Well, when did we ever do that for you? And he said, well, when you did it for the least, you did it for, us, for me. And, and the same would be for the true if you didn't do that. I love that passage because what it does is, if you go back, it's, it's talking about the judgment. And basically, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to know whether you go to heaven or hell by how you served others. So we know that Paul, by saying and testifying that I was serving God, we know that he was also serving others. And, and maybe what was most important about that is, he says, I was serving the Lord with all humility. With all humility. I mean, that's really the most important thing, isn't it? With humility. I mean, it's really a very misunderstood term today in our world. Humility, for most people, would, would make you think of weakness. That you're weak. You know, you're this humble person. And my goodness, in today's world, that's not looked on as a good thing. Weakness. They will devour you. <laughs> If you're weak, but it's anything but weakness. Humility is really strength in Christ. If I had to just give it a short, simple definition, it is strength in Christ. It is putting myself aside for, for God's plan and God's purpose. And I went through and I put a few things on here. Just when I think about humility, what do I think about? I think about this. Humility means you know your place in the world. And I gave some verses there. Anybody know what the Second Corinthians 5, 9 says? Our aim is to please him. Or what about this? Humility means you know you are nothing but for Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know that your life is meant to be a living sacrifice. Everything we do for God, that's what Romans 12.21 says, you're to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Or what about humility means that you know when you are weak, he is strong. Remember when Paul said he was begging God to remove the, the thorn and God said no. And, and he said that my power is made perfect in what? Our weakness. That's where we get the strength of God is in our weakness. And last there, what about humility means always putting others ahead of yourself. Philippians 2 
3, what it says, do nothing in selfish ambition or conceit, but with all humility, count others as more significant than yourself. I read a quote by uh, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, who said, a humble person will show a crucified Savior better to a listener than a polished, pulled-together expert. And that's all of us, by the way, okay? I would put myself into to that. I, I want to be that humble person and not that polished, pulled-together expert. I can tell you that because that's how it happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together, but by admitting we were sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. You know, I often say that, you know, we are never going to be more like Christ than we were a servant, a humble servant. In fact, if you go on and you read further in Philippians 2 and go on to 4, 5, and 6, it says that, that Jesus, having this same mindset of putting others first, even though he was God, it says, he didn't count uh, becoming God as anything attainable. And what did he do? And emptied out himself, taking the form of a servant. So, you know, you want to have an impact the way Paul did, the way Christ did, man, it is, you got to be a servant and you got to be humble in doing it. Because listen, there's not a given that those two things go together. You can build a lot of pride in, in serving, okay? I, you, can, you can start real easily thinking it's about you. You can start real easily believing that what I'm doing is because of what I'm doing, and it's not. That's why that humility is so important. You can't separate the two. If Paul would have just left it, I've been serving the Lord, and, and, and not talked about humility, it wouldn't have had the same impact for me. But it's the humble servant. That's, what, that's what's important. You want to make an impact, you've got to be a humble servant. And then the next one, number three, I would say is this, that Paul lived out his faith. Paul lived out his faith. And everything that he did, he was true to his calling. Um, he was faithful to God in everything that God gave him to do. And there's example after example in this, this text. For, for one, he was faithful to the word of God and to sharing the gospel. He talked about it several times. I'm, I won't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to, to both Jews and to Greeks that of the repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it again in 27, for I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul was committed to, to God's holy word. Uh, he, he lived it out. Every day of his life was committed to that. Or what about his unwavering integrity? I love the fact that he, he ends, adds in here that I coveted no one's silver or gold. You know, he's basically saying, listen, I didn't take from you. He went on to talk about how hard he worked. You know, he was an example he was someone that earned their respect. And there's, that's important. <laughs> that's important. We, we can't just gloss over that. That's important because, you know, if you want to have an impact on people, you got to live it out. you got to live it out in all you do. And, and the way you handle yourself, Dr. Hawkins, Dr. O.S. Hawkins does this great deal where he talks about VIPs, very influential persons, and he talks about integrity. The heartbeat of that entire sermon that he's done several times uh, is about integrity. You know, Paul had integrity. You could trust him. You could depend on him. He was always there for you, always doing his part, always, always pitching in. That's what he's telling you about. 
And let me tell you, that's important. That's an important part of, of making an impact. Or, or, or just what about his obedience to God? You know, one of the more incredible things that I've, I've read and studied and thought about, and there's no real way to explain it other than that he's just following God in such a closeness that he, that he knows. And that is just where he says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained or compelled by the Spirit. Knowing, as Jared talked about tonight, that I'm going to be persecuted. I mean, just think about that. How do you, I mean, you know, I, I used to think about this, and there's another chapter coming up where it talks about this even more, you know, where, where people are basically begging him not to go to Jerusalem. He said, I'm going anyway, I'm going anyway, because uh, God told me to. And I just thought to, my, think to myself, well, you know, wow, you can get godly counsel, you can, you know, ask people their advice, but there is no substitute from being so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you can sense when he wants you to go or not go. I mean, that just is amazing to me. And, and where does it come from? It comes from living it out all the time. Prayer, commitment to God's word, knowing God. You know, or what about his just his no-give-up attitude? You know, I love the fact that he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course. If only I may finish my course. I mean, just Paul had that one-track mind. He would have made a 10 on all of uh, Jared's questions. He just had this one-track mind that, listen, my life doesn't matter. All that matters in my life is that I honor God, that I glorify him, that I serve his purpose, his will. And he just had blinders on for that, just blinders on. And, he, and listen, he was a real person. He was a real person living in really hard times. Talking about being in that church, he was a real person in really difficult times, just like we're real people in really difficult times. So you can't just look back and say, oh, well, that was Paul. That was Paul. He was better than I am. No. He was a man saved by the grace of God, just like all of us, that just loved God more than he loved his own life. And I, you know, I think about this one thing, living it out. And I think about just for me, and one of the things that I probably you know, if I'm being honest about it, is sometimes I can get judgmental about people that I feel are being two-faced, uh, that, I, that I see that just don't, you know, that maybe speak one thing and, and then do another. I mean, do you know people like that? Uh, I mean, I think today's world, honestly, that sometimes uh, Christians do us more harm than anybody. Uh, you see it over and over again. Just why? Because it's just not matching up. They're not living it out every day in their life, what they say they believe in. They're not, it's not marrying up to, to God's holy word and, to, and what we know God is about and just the character of God. And I'm going to tell you, that, that impacts me, so I know it has to impact others. And I look at the media today, and they just they love that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like they're searching for it. They're searching for it. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking about just in the terms of, of, uh, of just respect and honesty and, and, and trust. And, you know, I've said it before and I've told my children this is that, you know, you, it takes a whole lifetime sometimes to earn someone's trust, but you can leave, lose it in a moment, right? I want them to think about that. So maybe when they're thinking about making a decision and thinking, you know what, this is going to destroy the trust that my father or my mother has in me. I mean, you can lose it just like that. And I was reading uh, from Dr. Jim Dennison. He does a daily devotional, and I thought it was interesting. This week he had one, and he was talking about Billy Graham. 
and he was talking about a, a lady by the name of Nancy Gibbs, who was the editor-in-chief of Time Magazine, and she went out with a crew, and they were interviewing uh, Dr. Graham. And she said of the interview, she said, what was most surprising to all of us was how completely disarming he was. We were struck by his humility, the gentleness, the quiet, confident grace. He seemed perhaps the most unguarded man I've ever interviewed. And Dr. Dennison goes on to say that for Nancy Gibbs, that's a remarkable statement. She had interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people. And, and Dr. Dennison notes that the reason for this, in his opinion, and I agree, is very simple. And it's just this. Billy Graham once said, my greatest fear is that I'll do something or say something that will bring some disrepute on the gospel of Christ before I go. His biggest fear is that he would do something or say something in his life that would look bad on Christ. And, and I, I, I thought it was very applicable that then Dr. Dennison goes on to say, if we want our lives to impact our culture and those around us, we must make Billy Graham's greatest fear ours as well. You got to live it out 24-7. You know, I, 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 I taught a lesson in, in Corinthians about not, your brother not stumbling. Well, listen, it's important. It really is. It's important to have just such a, you know, Jared describes it as a passion. I, I describe it as an obsession, an obsession to following God and His commandments in your life. If you want to have an impact, you got to live it out. And then the fourth thing I would say is this, and maybe the most important thing to me, and that is that uh, Paul did it with tears. If you want to have an impact, you better do it with tears. And he talked about that a couple of times in verse 19. He, after he said, I serve the Lord with all humility, he says, I also did it with tears. And then in verse 31, he says, remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone in tears. What do you think he meant by that, by in tears? I mean, lots of things brings tears to your life. You know, maybe a pain. Uh, I think here for, for this, uh, Paul was talking about, uh, you know, the way he loved them, the way he cared for them. I think he was talking about bearing one another's burdens, about doing life together, about caring about one another's needs. I know Debbie was emailing me and texting me this week about John. Why? Because she cares about him, you know, that's what this is talking about. When Paul says, I did it with tears, it's because I loved you. I cared about you. My life was devoted to being there for you. It was this intimate love and compassion that he just had for people. That he cared about people. He had this burning desire for everyone to know God. In fact, if you go over into Romans chapter 9, he says that I, I would rather be separated from Christ if it means my brother's going to heaven. That's how much he cared. It was this burning desire he had to love people, to care for people, to be a part of their life, to let them in and, and to be a part of what they're doing, to, to, to bear their burdens and when they're sick, to, to be there for them. I mean, that's really what a fellowship is all about. It's being there for one another and this care and this love. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's any way in the world that you'll ever make an impact on someone if you don't have this. If you don't do it with tears, I, I've been reading this book, and I'm a slow reader. I get distracted pretty easy, but it's called The Daniel Dilemma. It's a great book by Chris Hodges, who's a pastor uh, in Birmingham, and it says, How to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. 
And I, I love that the lead story that he talks about was, you know, one of his, uh, one of the people in his church had given him a gift certificate to get a custom-made suit. He never had a custom-made suit. And he goes to this tailor in uh, Birmingham. His name is Joe. And, and he goes there, and Joe welcomes him in, and he takes his wife along with him to try to help because he was so nervous. And uh, Joe, you know, says, hey, pastor, Mrs. Pastor, welcome, welcome. And, you know, they get along well, and everything goes as planned. And toward the end of it, Joe says, oh, pastor, you were just nothing like I would have expected. And uh, this pastor Hodges was like, well, Joe, why do you say that? He said, oh, Pastor, I've had many Christians come into my shop. I've had many pastors, even some famous pastors, come into my shop. And they see up on my wall that I have pictures of, of other gods in their mind. Because he wasn't a Christian. He was from overseas. And he said, as soon as they, they see that, they treat me differently. Uh, he said, I've had many of them tell me that I'm going to hell uh, and, and, and shun me. He said, but you... You saw all these things, and you just loved me, and you cared for me, and you were so kind and so nice to me. And the Pastor Hodges says, I'm sorry you have had such a negative experience. That is not the heart of Jesus. I'd love for you to meet people I worship with so you can see that it doesn't have to be that way. You know, and I don't know exactly why I, I wanted to, to share that with you, but I think for me, when I think about that story, when I think about this context of with tears, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that that I'm here to love Joe, and that first and foremost, I need to care about Joe, that he's not just a number, or he's not something I'm trying to conquer, it's not my job to change, to change Joe. My job is to do what God does for Joe, which is love him and care for him. That's what it means uh, to love with tears, and you know, listen, I think about it also, I just you know, this is not easy, is it? I mean, I've laid it out. I've, I've given us the, the, the roadmap, I think, to be an encourager, to be a humble servant, uh, to live it out, to do it with tears. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. In fact, I was reminded of how hard it was this week uh, when Pastor Billy Island called me and said, Scott, I need to come over uh, to your home and I want to I talk with you. And uh, when Pastor Billy came over, he had told me about how Satan is really just attacking the outcry. He's the pastor over outcry and how Satan is attacking them and attacking their leadership and how they've had lots of leaders that have just left and went back out on the streets and went back out to drugs and went back out to gangs and how all of a sudden it felt like the entire home was just imploding and how he was come there, honestly, to, to ask my forgiveness for some crazy reason because they weren't going to be able to come back for a while because they had lost all their leadership and that they're in just a, a moment of turmoil. And I thought the whole time as I'm sitting there and, and just thinking about how easy it is just to quit. <laughs> you know, I started just thinking about my own journey and how, you know, for good or bad, when I first accepted Christ, my, my walk really started with Mike Fester and, and Mike's connection to Outcry and to Bonton. And I just think about how hard it is. You know, I think about how hard it is to, to live with impact. Because honestly, it, you know, some days you just want to give up. I mean, I know I felt so discouraged, just even like you didn't know it, but when they called and canceled at the last moment, I literally, before I had this conversation with Billy, I just felt so discouraged. I just felt like, man, God, we try so hard. 
you know, to witness, to bring people together, to show love, to do all, to encourage, to, to just do all these things. We try so hard. And what happens? Satan, all these wolves is coming in and just destroying and, and taking away what they have worked so hard for. And then as I, as I sat there and we, we sat and we prayed out in my backyard together. And, and then when I prayed later on my own, I just, honestly, God just spoke to me. And it was so simple to me is that, Scott, you, you can't do this. You can't. There's no way you're ever going to be do, able to do this on your own. You're only going to be able to do it through me. And, you know, that's, that's what we got to just keep reminding ourselves. In my, in my weekly discipleship this morning with, uh, with Coach Weiner, you know, which I'm so proud of, we, for four, I always tell people this, it's gonna, not for us, but just to show you that it's possible. For four years, we have never missed a week of discipleship. Um, and we were on the phone this morning, and we were talking about what did it mean when Christ was on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And he gave me good answers, all the ones that you would get from reading probably the ESV notes, if I had to take my guess. But uh, he gave me all the right answers. But I told him, I said, for me, when I think about what does it mean when Jesus says, it is finished, what does that mean? To me, it, it is for this very thing that I'm talking about. It means that I no longer have to do it. It's not on my shoulders anymore. On that cross, Christ took that away. And that now I can only do it one way, through Christ in me. And I can tell you just from my standpoint where I'm at in life, and as I get older, I think about this more and more, I just want to have impact. I want to impact people for Christ and all that I do. I don't really ever always know what that means. And some days I don't know it even close to what it means. But that's what I want to be about. In fact, when I die... Okay, Aaron, you could write this down. On my tombstone, all right? Scott Olson, born April 30th, 1970, dies whenever God calls him home. Loving father, husband, and friend impacted people for Christ. I hope that's the way my life ends. But I think, listen, Paul was a great example of that. If we could learn from this, maybe we got a chance if we let Christ work through us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this uh, body of believers, Lord, for this, this church. Uh, God, thank you for each person in here, for their heart, for Jesus. Thank you that every Saturday night, God, they show up, and uh, I know they've got so many things that could take their time, God, but I'm just so grateful that you uh, compel them to be here, Lord, and they're obedient. Uh, God, that means a lot to, I know, me and to so many others in this room, God. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless them. God, as they go and leave this uh, room and head back out into what is sometimes a scary and difficult world, Lord, I pray that you would just be with them. Lord, we know you've equipped us for the battle, God, and I just pray that uh, when times are difficult, when the challenges are hard, when we want to give up, God, we'll know that uh, it is not in our strength but in yours. In Jesus' name, amen.